Our passage today is found in Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they've done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, the the cross is a symbol that is known to people all over the world. We see it in artwork. uh, We wear it as jewelry. Um, You'll find crosses in cemeteries, in churches. Sometimes you'll see a a cross uh, decorating the wall of of someone's home. So all over the world, millions and millions of people treasure the cross as a symbol of faith and hope, a symbol of, of, of God's uh, redeeming love. It's, it's a treasured symbol. And that, that is astonishing if you know what the cross meant to the people of Jesus' day. Uh, the, the Roman Empire, I'm sure you know, the Roman Empire had conquered and had colonized really nations and people groups throughout Africa and, and Europe and, and the Middle East. And in order to hold these people in subject, subjugation, uh, the Romans employed crucifixion um, as a form of today what we would call state-sponsored terrorism. You see, death, death on a cross was so painful, so humiliating, that the very thought that the Romans might kill you that way or might kill your son that way, it, just that thought alone uh, kept oppressed people down. It kept, it kept them from even questioning Roman rule. It just terrorized them. Crucifixion is, is so um, physically horrifying that, um, you know, generally was reserved only to be used on slaves. Roman citizens could never legally be crucified. Um, and cru- crucifixion itself was, a, was such a repulsive to- topic that educated Romans, they, they wouldn't even discuss it in, in polite company. It was just that horrible. Theologian James Cone has made the case that in American history, the closest thing to the cross that we have that would probably be the lynching tree, you know, a, a cruel form of death used by those in power to subjugate others through the force of raw fear. That was the cross. And yet, isn't this strange? Strangely, all over the world today, with with joy in their hearts, Christians sing about the cross. We sing about how we love the cross, we rejoice in the cross, we glory in the cross, we we, we cling to the cross. You know, why why would we rejoice in something as horrible as that? Well, Jesus taught us that in God's plan of redemption, God's plan to rescue and restore this world, 
in, in God's plan of redemption, Jesus taught the cross is absolutely essential. The cross, the cross is necessary in, in two ways. First, the cross was necessary for Jesus to accomplish our salvation. All right? And then secondly, a cross is necessary for us if we want to follow him. So let me talk about that. First, the, the cross was necessary for Jesus. You'll notice verse 21 begins with these words. It says, from that time on. Now, uh, we need to understand the significance of, the, of those words. The passage that I just read for you is, is located in the middle of a, a broader section of the book of Matthew, in which in that part of Matthew, the identity of Jesus Christ is being revealed. That the climax of that particular section was found in the verses right before um, this passage that I read for you today. Uh, earlier in, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus had been talking with his disciples and he asked them what the people, what the public was saying about him, who the people were saying he was. And they, you know, they went through this, this little recital of the different answers people had for that question. And then, and then in verse 15 of Matthew 16, Jesus said this, he said, but what about you? Who do you say I am? What a question. In, in verse 16, Simon Peter answered this. He said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That, when, when, Peter, when Peter made that confession, that, that, that moment was a major breakthrough for the disciples. The, the, the disciples, finally, they were beginning to understand the true identity of Jesus. They're just realizing Jesus, he wasn't, he wasn't just a carpenter, and he wasn't even just a miracle worker. He wasn't just a, a, a wise spiritual teacher. They, they were realizing Jesus was the Messiah. In other words, Jesus... Jesus was the anointed king that God for centuries had been promising that he would one day send into the world to restore God's kingdom in this world. Jesus was that Messiah. So it's from that time on, from the moment they realized who Jesus is, from that time on we read, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and that he must be killed. In other words, from the moment they began to realize who Jesus was, he now began to teach them why he had come. And Jesus taught them here that the primary reason he came to this world was not, um, not to teach us deep truths about spiritual things. It wasn't you know, to set an example for us about how to you know, live a meaningful human life. He, he, the primary reason he came wasn't even to make life better in this, in this present age by healing diseases or, or fighting injustice. No, listen, the primary reason Jesus came to this world was to die, to, to die on a Roman cross. Now, now, why was that so important? Well, listen, the Bible, the Bible teaches that because of human sin, because we have rebelled against God, this whole world and everyone in it is, is under the curse of God's law. We've broken God's law, his law of justice, his law of goodness, and because of that, we are under laws, the law's curse. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 says that on the cross, Christ redeemed us. He bought us back. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. In other, in other words, listen, if we, if we come to Christ and we trust in him, we can have absolute assurance that all the punishment that our wrongdoing deserves, 
has already been dealt with. It's already been received by Jesus on the cross. On the cross, Jesus suffered the punishment of all the sin uh, that, that those who trust in him have committed so that we can know that we will never have to face that, face that punishment. We are redeemed by God. We're restored to a relationship with God. And that happens through the cross. Now, you'll notice here it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Notice that word must. He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. That, 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 that little word must is a word that it, it implies absolute necessity. In other words, the cross wasn't a, an option that Jesus chose for his life. It wasn't the, the path that he just, you know, preferred to follow. No, listen, no, the cross, death on the cross for him, it was the only way that he could fulfill the Father's loving plan to rescue us from punishment, to rescue us from hell. The only way he could do that was to die on the cross. When, when Peter here, I, I think with very good intentions, when he, he tried to talk Jesus out of this, he isn't it something how harshly Jesus responded to his friend Peter? Verse 23, he said, uh, he said, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Get behind me, Satan. It's as if he's saying, Listen, Peter, that, that's devil talk coming out of you right now. You're, you're saying the kind of thing that Satan would say. I, I wonder why Jesus said that. I, it, it brings to mind... Do you know the, the, the passage in, in Matthew chapter 4? If you do, remember, remember when, when Satan in the wilderness was tempting Jesus. And as Satan tempted Jesus, basically what he was trying to do was, was somehow to entice Jesus to, to, to rejecting the path of self-denial and shame that the Father had called him to. Remember, he said to them, oh, you look like you're very hungry. Why don't you use your power to turn these stones into bread? In other words, instead of using your power to serve God and serve others, use your power to satisfy your own needs. And then, and then Satan took him up on, on top of the temple and said, why don't you jump off the temple so everyone can see how the Father saves you? In other words, use your status, your relationship with the Father, uh, not, not to serve God, but to make a name for yourself. And then the devil said to Jesus, why don't you just bow down to me? And if you do, I will give you all the riches and all the wealth and all the splendor of all the kingdoms of the world. In other words, if you'll just turn your back on the cross, if you'll turn your back on the Father's will, I will give you everything that humanity says you need to be happy. So the devil, he, 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 was, he was constantly trying to get Jesus to reject the path of self-denial and weakness and shame so um, I guess that's why when Peter tried to get Jesus to reject the path of self-denial and weakness and shame, the path of the cross, it, it, it's as if Jesus was saying to him, listen, man, I, I hear the evil one's voice echoed in what you're saying. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God. You're only thinking about human concerns. He says, listen, I must, I, I must go to Jerusalem. I, I must suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. I must be killed. This is not negotiable. This cannot be changed. This is the only way I can accomplish the Father's plan. He's saying the cross is essential. So the cross, you see, the cross was necessary 
for Jesus to save us. But we also see in this passage that the cross, a cross, is necessary for us. There's not just a cross for Jesus. This, This passage talks about a cross for us. A cross is necessary for us if we want to follow Jesus. Verse verse 24, um, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, now remember, when you read this, the, the cross, as I said, the cross was not a symbol of love. It wasn't a symbol of hope. It wasn't an item of jewelry. Listen, the cross was a lynching tree. It was cruel. It was painful. It was shameful. It was death. And Jesus said, anyone who wishes to be one of my people is required to take up their cross and follow me. Now, what does that mean? I would say it means this. It means that to be a Christian, all right, to follow Christ, we must be willing to give up anything and everything if if that's what it takes to obey Jesus. Even, listen, even if it costs us our life. Whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus said, must do this. Uh, Tertullian was an African man who lived in the second and third century and he was one of the, the leaders of the early church, one of the famous uh, Christian leader. And the, the, it's reported that one day a man came to see Tertullian uh, to ask for his advice with a problem. This man was a recent convert to Christianity, and, and he wanted to ask this church leader, Tertullian, if, uh, if now that he's a Christian, if he needed to leave, quit his job. And Tertullian said, well, you know, why... Well, what is it that you do for a living? And the man explained that he was an artisan. He was a silversmith and that his job was making uh, pagan idols to sell to people to worship. And he said, do I have to quit that job? And Tertullian said, yes, of course. You can't, you can't make idols anymore. You belong to Jesus now. It wasn't uh, the answer the man was hoping for. So he, he tried to explain a little further. He said, you know, with all due respect, Tertullian, let me just explain. Um, Making these idols, this is the only work that I've ever been trained for. This is the only thing that I know how to do. This is the only way for me to provide for my family. And Tertullian said, I'm sorry, I know that, but you're, you're a Christian now. You can't do that anymore. Well, the man still wasn't satisfied with that answer, so he, he, he thought he'd give it one more shot. And he said, listen, with all due respect, Pastor, um, if I don't do this job, I can't live And reportedly, Tertullian looked at the man and he asked, Must you live? Must you live? Now, I I don't know how that sounds to you. It sounds a little harsh harsh to me. Um, I'm I'm confident the man, Tertullian, who said this, you remember he was leading a church that, that would have been committed to helping provide for that man's need if he had left the job. But it sounds kind of harsh. Do you really have to live? Why did he say that? I'll tell you why he said that. Because he was being faithful to the teaching of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, must take up their cross and, and follow me. Now I can hear someone saying, wait a minute, I, I, <laughs> I thought we were saved by faith in Christ because of what he did for us on the cross. I thought, I thought we're saved by faith, not by works. And, and you know, you're right. Yes, we are saved by faith in Christ. But you know, if, if listen, I, I would say that if, if, we don't, if we don't trust Christ enough to allow him to teach us to do whatever he says, it's kind of a, hard to imagine that 
um, we really have faith in him at all. You see, the, thing, the things that Jesus told us he wants us to do, things like um, giving sacrificially to the poor, uh, forgiving those who've hurt us, praying for our enemies, leaving behind impurity and sexual sin, loving our brothers and sisters, being committed to speaking the truth at all times, seeking God's kingdom before anything else. Listen, you know, none of those things, none of those things in the Bible are described as optional. All, all of them are described as, as absolutely required of us. Listen, Jesus says they're required of us even if doing them costs us our lives. Now, I, so, someone might say, wow, I had, no, I had no idea being a Christian required something like that, if that's what it means to be a Christian. You know, wh- why, why would I even want to follow Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because as we see here, the story of Jesus includes a cross, but it doesn't end with a cross. After, after his crucifixion comes his resurrection. After his resurrection comes his ascension into glory. After his ascension will come, and I think very soon will come his return. And when Jesus comes back, when he comes back, listen, every sacrifice we've ever made for his sake, it will be worth it. Verse 25 through 7, Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But, he said, whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 4, verse 27, the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they've done. He's he's coming back again, and, and when he comes back, every sacrifice, any sacrifice made to follow him, it, oh my, it will be worth it. Verse, verse 28, Jesus says these mysterious words. He says, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Um, it seems that what, he, what he's talking about is, is made clear in the passage right after that. Six, six days after Jesus spoke those words, he took three of his disciples with him up onto a high mountain, a Peter, James, and John. And when he was up on top of that mountain, it says that his, his appearance was transfigured in their presence. They, it's almost like they, they got a sneak preview of him in his glory. You could put it this way, on, on top of that mountain, they got a little tiny foretaste of what heaven's going to be like. And, and when, they, when they saw Jesus transfigured, you know what they said? They said, oh, this is good. This is good. Matthew 17, verse 4, it says, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. This is so good. Guys, listen. Whatever, whatever the coming age with Jesus heaven, whatever heaven will be like, it will be so good. Every sacrifice we've ever made for Jesus' sake, every, every wrong relationship we've, we've, we've broken off and left behind, every, every sinful habit that we've fought against and, and, and gotten out of our life, every, every commitment to, to, to a relationship that, that, that we've, we've, we've held to for the sake of Jesus, whatever the cost, it will be worth it. Um, James James Cohen, I, I mentioned him before. He's, he wrote this in one of his books. He said, The cross is a paradoxical religious symbol. 
because it inverts or it, it turns upside down the world's value system with the news that hope comes by way of defeat, that suffering and death do not have the last word, that the last shall be first and the first last. The, the, the cross of Jesus Christ, it turns everything around. You know, when they, when they came out with the, uh, the East River Ferry a couple of years ago, I, I couldn't wait for my first chance to ride on the boat and see what it's like to sail down the East River. And so when I finally got a chance to go, I, I bought my ticket and, and it was a beautiful day and I was, I was waiting to get on the boat and I saw that there were a bunch of other people also waiting and I thought to myself, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit this, I'm so selfish. I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to get on that boat first because I want the best seat. And so I made sure I stood near the front of the line. And as soon as they let us on, I, you know, I, I didn't want to sit downstairs. I wanted to be upstairs in the fresh air. So I, I rushed to the stairs and I climbed on my way, my way up. And, and when I saw the arrangement, the seating arrangement there, I said to myself, you know what? I want the best seat here. I, I don't want to sit in the back of the boat where I can't see anything. I want to sit in the very front of the boat. So I, I, I went to what I thought was the front of the boat. I sat down and I, and I just felt so happy. <laughs> And then you know what happened. Uh, the boat backed away from the dock, did a 180-degree turnaround in the water, and sailed down the river. And what I thought was the front was actually the back, and what I thought was the back was actually the front. Front, And, and all my effort to put myself first and get the best seat, and I, and I ended up in the very back of the boat. And, and guys, listen, in a, that's a little picture of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. The first will be last. The last will be first. What, what seems important in this life will suddenly seem insignificant. Sacrifices that seem very hard will sometimes look, will instantly look so worth it. Everything. Listen, when he comes back, everything will be turned around. And, and, and those who in this lifetime gave up everything to follow Jesus, they will discover that, listen, they didn't really lose anything at all. And those, however, who, because they didn't really trust Jesus, they held on to power and they held on to wealth and they held on to their comfort and their safety and, 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 and they lived rather than for the glory of God, they lived for the, the approval of the world. They, they, will find, they will find out in that day that they wasted everything. The cross turns everything around. Whoever, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, Follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever, this is the promise, whoever loses their life for me will find it. Would you pray with me? Our dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did not reject the cross. You willingly embraced it for us to rescue us from, from the coming wrath of God, to give to us the full glory of your kingdom if we simply trust you. So we ask for grace to trust you, really to trust you, to seek you and your kingdom first, no matter what it takes. I, I pray for each one of us, in, in whatever way we're finding it difficult to carry the cross and follow you, won't you please, by your Spirit, breathe fresh hope and grace and strength into us so that we'll keep our eyes on you and we will follow and we will not turn back. I ask this, trusting that it's your desire to grant this to us. I ask this in your name. Amen.